you know, you may think, well, I never would want to go to Africa. Well, my problem was I married a woman who's had Africa in her heart since she was a little girl. And when she told me that when we were dating or engaged or whatever, am I on? Okay. Uh, I, I had no desire whatsoever. And I ended up going before she did, but that's another story. So um, you don't really discover purpose until you step outside of your comfort zone. And, and that's such an absolute truth that we need to learn. Good. If I'm going to fight for my comfort zones, then I'm never going to discover my purpose. Uh, we have to be challenged to step beyond where we would normally uh, want to challenge, uh, I mean, want to, want to step. And you will be challenged in that. So anyway, let me, let me get this thing going here because I, I want to stay within the parameters. And um, okay, uh, today, if you can put the first slide up, uh, as Minda has said, or Paul has said, that I'm going to be talking to you about the subject of faith. And several years ago, this was probably around 2004, 5, something like that, I began to study uh, this aspect of faith. It was just a word that was dropped into my heart about three aspects of faith, uh, current, vital, and practical. And I really not preached it much, and then suddenly, while I was in South Africa, this started coming back to me, and so I spent some time preparing and, and uh, putting that together, and so God opened the door for me to share this in a couple of places. First question is, is your faith theoretical? Uh, is it something that's just theory? If it's not practical, is it just, uh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but there's really no fruit of it anywhere? Uh, is your faith theoretical, or secondly, is it vital, is it current, or is it practical? In other words, it's either theoretical, or if it's real faith, it's vital, which means living, and I'll give you some more synonyms. It's current, up to date, and, and next it's practical. Just leave that slide there a minute. Um, you know, many people have difficulty trusting God. And trust and faith are two different things. Trust and faith are two different things. They're related to each other. But let me put it to you like this. As you begin to step out and believe God and see his faithfulness, then over time what happens is you build up a trust account with God. In other words, as I believe God, as I hear what he says and I sometimes in fear and trepidation, step out and obey what he says, and I see his faithfulness in it, then what that does, it builds up a trust account with God. Trust is more passive. Faith is more active. And so as, I, as I'm actively obeying God, then I learn to trust him. I see his faithfulness. In, in the next slide, we see there are four verses in Scripture, one in the Old Testament three in the New Testament that say the exact same thing. And that thing is those who have been justified, that is, those who have been made righteous shall live by faith. That simply means everyone who has surrendered to Jesus, put your trust in Jesus. You've repented of your sins. You've put your trust in his work on the cross and you received him as Lord. Because of that, you've been placed in right standing with God. Not because of your works, but because of his work on the cross. 
It says that every one of us who put our trust in God, we shall live by faith. So it's absolutely essential that we understand faith if we're supposed to live by faith. We must live by faith. And the next slide gives the biblical definition of faith, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen, found in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Just leave that slide there a minute ago. There's two words, primary words used there. One is faith, the other one is hope. Uh, to me, hope used to be something that was kind of nebulous. I didn't really comprehend it. And then there's the world's idea of hope. When they say, well, I sure hope so, and they don't really hope in a biblical sense. It's kind of like a, a dark horse fat chance. Don't count on it proposition. But several years ago, I discovered that the word hope literally means confident expectation. Confident expectation. A lot of people confuse faith and hope. A lot of people think that faith is expecting something. It is not. Faith excuse me, hope is expecting. Hope is confident expectation. And, and faith is the substance of those things that I expect. And so what I do when I read the Bible or when I hear the word hope, I substitute in my mind expect or expectation because it, it, it puts it in a realm where, hey, I really do expect this. This is something I expect. And the next slide just puts it simply. Faith is the assurance of what we have expectation for. Faith is the assurance of what we have expectation for. And secondly, it's the evidence of unseen things. Faith has to do with unseen things. That's very, very, very significant. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing what God says. Or faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But a short form of that is faith comes by hearing what God says. So faith is attached to what God says. Okay? Now, stay with me because I'm building something here. Let's look at some keys to understanding faith. Number one, since faith comes by hearing what God says... We can only have faith for what God says. In other words, I can't just determine I'm going to believe for this or this or whatever. I can only have faith for what God says. God's word to my heart, God's speaking produces faith in my heart. It brings faith. It causes faith to come. And then secondly, since faith is the evidence of what we cannot see, faith is only about the unseen. Faith is only about the unseen. Now, this is very important for our navigating life because every single day we face things that are totally contrary to what God has spoken to us. We face things that are totally contrary to uh, living effectively in this world. And if we're moved by what we see, then we're not going to get to where God wants us to be. 
malfunction here, sorry. Here we go. Now, don't put the next slide. I believe that there. Go back. Okay. So faith has to do with unseen things. Let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that I'm standing here? Can I see your hand? Can I see your hand? You're all wrong. You do not believe I'm standing here. Faith only deals with what you cannot see. You know I'm standing here. You don't believe anything you can see. Now let me ask you a second question. How many of you believe that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Now I believe that because I can't see it. But it's based on what God says. So the reality is that if, if, if you can see something, it's not, you don't need faith for that. I don't believe Mickey's standing back there. I know he's standing back there. There's no faith required. I believe that Jesus will return. I can't see that, but I have faith for it because God says it. And there's two verses very clearly state this. There's others, but these are very clear. In John chapter 11, when Jesus was outside of the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus had died. Jesus spoke these words to Martha. He said, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And then Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So in both of these, we see that believing precedes seeing. Now the next slide. The world says seeing is believing, but Jesus says believing is seeing. In other words, the whole operation of God. For example, Paul wrote to the church at Rome that if I would confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then I will be saved. Now, I can't just mouth those words, but if by revelation of the Holy Spirit, I'm convicted of my sin and I know that Jesus has come and he has done what God says, then I, by my faith, I confess Jesus you're my Lord. It's amazing. In December of 1971, when I surrendered to Jesus, at the moment I started that, he really was not my Lord, but I declared him to be my Lord because I came into agreement with him that he is Lord. And I believe that God raised him from the dead. The beginning of our walk with God is faith in something we cannot see, and that continues in our entire journey. You remember when, uh, when Jody and uh, 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 Vanessa were here. You remember Jody said this. Jody was, uh, they were adopting. And Jody began to doubt and waver a bit. Vanessa refused to doubt. She was going to see the adoption come about. Now that's faith. That's tenacious faith. Or it was something else maybe she was believing for. But it was... Something that spoke to me when Jody shared that because I wasn't here, but I've listened to it. That that his wife would not give in, even though circumstances were contrary. Hebrews eleven six says, "Without faith." Next slide. Hebrews eleven six. Uh, are you going backwards or forward? Sorry. Yeah. 
Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, for he would draw near to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Leave that verse there a minute. It doesn't mean that there's going to be a day that we attain to this state or this position called faith, and that pleases God. What he's saying is, if I'm going to live a life down here that pleases God, I'm going to have to do it by faith. In other words, it's based on hearing what he says and doing what he says. That's the way that we navigate life effectively. The next slide. Most verses in Hebrews 11 begin with, by faith, and then someone's name follows. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab. Take Noah, for example. It says in Hebrews 11 that by faith, Noah built an ark. He heard things that God said that were totally contrary to things that had never been seen. In other words, God spoke to him about things that had never been seen. And he prepared an ark to the saving of his household. God said, I want you to build me an ark. He said, because it's going to rain. It had never rained. Rain did not happen until the ark was built and the heavens were opened. God had watered the earth from beneath. He had just caused a dew or a mist to come. And so Noah heard God, and by faith, he spent 120 years building something simply because God had told him to do it. Every person listed in Hebrews 11 lived with a faith that influenced their generation and influenced all generations to come. And that's what God wants us to do. Do you know how Detroit is going to be impacted for Jesus? It's going to happen through individuals like you and me hearing what God says and living it out and causing influence to come into the lives of those into our sphere of influence. These individuals did not use their faith for personal gain or for personal advantage. There's nobody listed in Hebrews 11 that used their faith to get something for themselves. You don't see anybody say, by my faith, I got a brand new Mercedes. That's carnality. Paul gave the key verse on how we increase. We're, we, we get busy with God's business, and he takes care of our business. Romans, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to us. We don't have to worry about uh, faith for what we don't have. We can ask God. I'm not saying that. But we don't spend a lot of time in our faith trying to get things. We, we use our faith to advance the kingdom of God, and he brings things in the back door many times. And then 2 Corinthians 4.18. We do not look at the things which are seen. Now, isn't that crazy? We don't look at what we can see. And that's our problem. We are gripped and ripped apart by looking continually at things we can see. What do we look at? We look at things we don't see, we can't see. For the things which are seen, they're temporary. They're in the temporal realm, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's living by faith. It doesn't mean you deny what's there. It doesn't mean that you absolutely say that does not exist. 
It just simply means that's not your focal point. Now stay with me. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. Walking by faith is contrary to walking by sight. These two verses, this is the way to live. The next slide. We live by these two verses in this way. First of all, we give more attention to what God says than the way things appear that are contrary to what God says. And then secondly, we make thus says God, this is what God says, more real than what you see or feel. That's how you navigate life with those two verses. You're not moved by what you see. You're moved by what God says. I could give so many illustrations of how that has impacted my life. I remember, I remember the first church we planted back in 1975. We started out in a, in a house in a living room. We filled the living room, and it, it, it moved into other rooms, and we outgrew the house, and we moved into a school hall, and we were very few. It seemed like a full house in that house, but we were just a handful. And, and, and you know, I, I would come to the service, and I mean... Honestly, years ago, I learned something. I only speak to those who show up. I never worry about those who don't show up. I don't minister to those who aren't there. But in those days, I didn't understand that. And I would come to the meeting, and it was about two, three minutes after the service is supposed to part, start. Four or five people would be there, and, and I would just have these thoughts come to me. You know, uh, you're, you're failing. This is not what... Uh, you know, you should be doing. And so I would slip out of the congregation. I would slip out of the service. hadn't started yet. And I would walk in one of the back halls of the, of the school building. And I would just thank God. God, I thank you. I know I've heard you. I put, you put me here. And so we, what happened was God began to cause the thing to grow. And so what I'm saying is, is that if we're moved by what we see and it causes us heart consternation, then we're not going to advance. But if we continue to focus on what God says, that's how we navigate by faith. Now, there's three aspects of faith, as I said, vital, current, and practical. Uh, you can just leave that there for a minute. When I say vital, think of vital signs. You go, to, you go and you have your vital signs checked, your heart rate, your blood pressure, uh, oxygenation, or whatever, oxygenation. Well, vital means living, Critical, seminal. When you think of your faith, do you think of it as something, well, it's kind of, yeah, I sort of have faith, yeah, I do. Or is it something that's living, critical, seminal, indispensable, necessary, life or death? The Bible says the just shall live by faith. If our faith is vital, as the next slide says, it will always have these necessary effects. First of all, daily relating with Jesus, especially through his word. In other words, if my faith is vital, it's not just a Sunday morning faith. And it's not just a Sunday morning faith that I can casually miss occasionally or casually come to occasionally. It, it is vital. This is a part of my life. And then secondly, daily prayer. And this is not giving you things to do. This is talking about building a relationship with the one who is the one who gave you faith and the one that through relating to him, your faith will grow. And then thirdly, apostolic or going. 
That's mission and witness. If you never go anywhere else but Detroit, we need to live with a going or a sent mindset that just like Minda goes to the store yesterday, she's got more of a sent mindset. She's looking for coffee, but she's looking for people. In other words, God's called us to that. Now, your daily relationship with Jesus. I'm going to steal a story that I love that Paul talked as part of his coming to Christ. Uh, he, he went to a Catholic high school. Now, just leave that there. Uh, wait a minute. Go back. Get back. Get back. Um, yeah, the one that says, uh, if our faith is vital, go, go to the next slide. Leave it right there. Thank you. Um, Paul went to a Catholic high school, and he had this father, whatever his name was, that everybody wanted. And so during the class one day, this father posed a question. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes and think about this. Think about Abraham Lincoln. Think about your best friend. And think about Jesus. Okay, think about Abraham Lincoln. You can see the beard and all that. Stovepipe hat. Think about your best friend, whoever that may be. And then thirdly, think about Jesus. Now the next slide. You can open your eyes. Which one of those do you see, your best friend or Abraham Lincoln, which one do you see to be more like your relationship with Jesus your best friend, which is very personal, intimate, or an historical figure like Lincoln, impersonal. I used that in South Africa. I thought I'd change the slide. My slide, I changed. I didn't change your slide. Madiba is Nelson Mandela. I used this there talking about him. So anyway, so in other words, it's spending time with Jesus that you really become close with Jesus. And, and that's an awkward thing to do if you're not used to it. But we have to learn to break through the awkwardness. Learn how to communicate with Jesus your heart like David did. That's awesome how David spoke to God. Just communicate with him. Tell him you love him. Tell him you want to get to know him better. Thank him for what he's done for you. And just spend time. If you have zero prayer life, don't try an hour. An hour will seem like two years. If you don't have much prayer time at all, if you even have to set a timer, commit 10 minutes or 15 minutes and just say, Lord, I really do want to get to know you. And if you don't know how to pray, your prayer is, Lord, teach me to pray. Okay? So, and then the, the next slide, daily prayer, our daily prayer. What is your prayer life more like? Is it more like a spare tire or a steering wheel? In other words, when it comes to pray, are you just driving down the road, doing your own business, not minding anything? And the only time that you pray is when you have an urgency, so you need the spare tire. Or is your prayer life like a steering wheel? Or is it, abs is it absolutely essential to navigate life? 
And then apostolic going, mission and witness. I'm just touching on these because I want to get to some very practical things that, that we can do. Apostolic going, mission and witness. What we have in Christ is to be seen by others. It's not something secret, secret Christians. I'm a closet Christian. There's no such thing as a closet Christian. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine that others may see. And just leave that up there a minute. The church in Thessalonica is such a great illustration. Paul wrote to them in the first chapter of the first epistle. And he said many things, but these two statements, he said, you became followers of us and of the Lord. Then he says, for from you, that is from your lives and witness, sounded out the word. In other words, the people in Thessalonica so embraced what Paul had to say that they became living epistles. That's what God wants to do with Border City Church and every church in Detroit. That there's no question that we're alive unto God because his life is in us. You know, Paul went to Thessalonica, you know, uh, I think not long ago, maybe it wasn't here, maybe I was talking about it in Africa, but, uh, you know, there, there was a time that Paul was trying to go two different places and the Lord did, said, don't go there. And then he gave him a vision and he saw a man over in Macedonia. He says, come here and help us. Well, Thessalonica and Philippi, or in Macedonia. And so he went, and there's no evidence that he ever saw a literal man. This was a typical, uh, uh, yeah, what do you call it, uh, the type of dreams you have? Symbolic. symbolic. It was symbolic. It was prophetic, but it was symbolic. There wasn't a man there, but his going there, he established the church at Philippi and the church at Thessalonica. And Philippi was a major city. It was named after... Uh, 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 King Philip of Macedon, uh, a very significant man. And so uh, what I'm saying is, is that Paul went there and these people, they gave up their idols. They threw away all of their idols to serve the living God. And, you know, serving God requires us to give up our idols. We may not have, you know, uh, Buddha or statues or something that we worship, but we all have things in our heart that vie for God. And we have to deal with that idolatry. Now, a key aspect of vital, vital faith will always mean that I see his word as vital. I see his word here and his word that he speaks to me. They're both the word of God. I can't make doctrine out of what he speaks to me. But the place of the scripture, I, I cannot tell you, this may be the most significant thing I say today, of you cannot know how to walk with God if you don't become a student of scripture. If we, if, we have, if we have plenty of time for Facebook and for Twitter, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter, so I'm not, I'm not saying you can't be on that. I'm just saying this has to give priority. And, and the attack upon Scripture today is probably greater than ever before because this will shape our life. The Holy Spirit taking Scripture is what shapes our life. Now, in Jer let's look at what Jeremiah said. in the next, uh, I found your words, and I ate them, 
And it was to me for the joy and the rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. He said, I found your word and I ate it. I consumed the word. Listen to what Job says in 23.12. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now what Job is saying here, he's saying that if I have a choice of eating, or, or excuse me, of eating or having God's word, I will choose God's word even over my necessary food. How do you treasure what God says? See, there's, there's an idea in the world today, sadly in the church today, that if I put my trust in Jesus and I'm saved, then you know I don't basically have to do anything. I'll just live my life and when I die, I'll go be with Jesus because I put my trust in him. But that is so contrary to the scripture. That's so contrary to everything about God. That God has saved us to impact our lives here, to bring us to a place to where we can impact the lives of others. And in doing that, that's how we get satisfaction and fulfillment. God wants to bring us to a place to where every day is full of Him. There may not be exciting things happen every day, but there's a relationship that I have with him and it's fed by my time with God and his word. And then Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus spoke this word. He was in the garden, not the garden, but in the Mount of Temptation after he had fasted for 40 days and he was hungry. And the first temptation that Satan brought to him was if you are the Son of God, you can command this stone to become bread. And Jesus' response, he didn't say, you can't tempt me, Satan, I'm Jesus. He said, it is written. He spoke Scripture. This is Old Testament Scripture. He said, it is written all three temptations, he answered with speaking against the temptation. I don't have time to go further into that. I would really like to, but I'm telling you, learning to speak the Word of God over our lives is one of the key factors in being stable and getting all the fodder out of our heads. Because we all have to face things in life and to declare God's Word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. She sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Mary had chosen to sit and hear. And uh, what Jesus is saying. And Jesus said, Mary chose the good part and it won't be taken from her. When we choose to put priority, it doesn't mean we don't need to prepare food from time to time, but when we prioritize 
hearing God, putting that first, then it will not be taken from us. And that's where victory is discovered. And then current faith. That was vital. Now let's go to current faith. Current means now, up to date, cutting edge, prevailing. Now faith, up to date faith. We cannot have a living relationship with God based on past revelation. What we saw yesterday, last week, or last year, it's got to be current. I need to have living revelation. It doesn't mean that I can't live by what God spoke to me. I'm just simply saying that I've got to maintain a daily relationship with God. Nor can we have a living relationship with God based on past experiences. A lot of people try to do that. It's amazing how when people are asked to give their testimony, they always revert back to when they first met Jesus. Well, that's an awesome testimony, but we all should have living testimonies every day of what Jesus is doing now in our lives. And that happens through maintaining a relationship with him. Next slide. Faith is not passive. It must be active. Therefore, it must be current. We cannot live or act today on yesterday's faith. Like newly gathered manna, my relationship with him must be daily and fresh. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies are new every morning because we expend all of them the day before. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And then I love this verse, Proverbs 8, 34. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. There is that posture of waiting to hear God daily. And then Luke 9, 23. If any of you want to be my followers, you have to forget about yourself. You must take up your cross each day and follow me each day. It's daily. It's current. My faith is daily. I can't ignore that. It's got to be every single day. And then Hebrews 3, 7 through 13. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and I said, they always do go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, listen, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And this is all attached to today, if you will hear his voice. Today, when God speaks, hear it and put it into practice. Now, practical faith. Practical means doable. It means doable. It means it can be put into practice. Functional, non-religious, non-theoretical, or abstract. 
practical faith. I, I, I never teach, I, I, I never have taught on the second coming of Jesus in the sense of trying to figure this is this and this is the Bible chart that I believe in, blah, 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 and this is going to happen here and this is going to happen here. And I want to tell you why. I believe strongly in the second coming of Jesus, but it's not practical. And how many books have been written about this Bible chart and that Bible chart and they've all failed and it doesn't make any sense? I believe strongly in the second coming of Jesus, but there is no practical way you can live that out. My eschatology is simple. Jesus is coming again, and when he gets here, we will know it. And until then, we'll be busy doing what he asks us to do. So doable, practical things, practical things, things we can live out. Romans 10, 17, once again, I put it here again for a good reason. Faith comes from hearing what God says. Faith comes from hearing what God says, the next slide, and faith grows by doing what God says. This is the practical, this is the doable. If all you do is hear and hear and hear, faith is only coming, but it's not growing. It's when we put into practice what God says that our faith grows, and our faith needs to grow. The Bible speaks of exceedingly growing faith. It needs to grow because we need to walk by faith. Here's the, here's, here's the process. God speaks, faith comes. We obey, faith grows. When God speaks, faith comes. There's a heightened faith, like in church. This is what happens. You, you come and you hear anointed teaching, and boy, something happens in your heart. But if you don't act on that, It'll just dissipate after a while. But when, you, when God speaks and faith comes, then you need to obey that immediately. Step out. And that's when faith grows. John 13, 17. Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's one thing to know, it's another thing to do. And then Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Knowing and not doing is the definition of theoretical faith, and it leads to a hard, evil heart of unbelief. You know, through the years, I would counsel people, I would share people. They would come to me uh, with their issues or serious crises or marriage crises or whatever. And a few times as I would share, one or the other of them would say, I know that. And, and see, that's a very dangerous response when somebody gives you truth. Oh, I know that. Well, apparently not. <laughs> because you're not living it, okay? <laughs> And then James 1, 22 through 25, I, I'm just going to read two verses. You can read the whole thing if you want to. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's amazing. If, if we're not doing what God says, we're deceiving ourselves. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, we cannot be hearers who forget, but doers who act, he will be blessed in his doing. When we hear and don't do, put into practice what we hear, we are self-deceived, and our deception is not by Satan. We can only blame ourselves. 
So if, I, if I'm hearing what God says and I'm refusing to do it, then I'm walking in self-deception. One of the most dangerous things, hear this, one of the most dangerous things that we can do is to come to a gathering, to any meeting where the word is preached without a heart to do what we hear. In other words, if we're just here and we say, yeah, I, re- I remember many years ago when, when we first got into uh, the things of the kingdom of God. I mean, it was, it was amazing. We always carried, of course, you, can, you have your, you have your uh, tablets now. But we always carried pen and paper, notebooks. And we would write down because we discovered that pens have greater memory than our minds do. And, and so, but there's a treasuring of things. And so when we hear things, that God is really speaking to me personally, I need to write it down and not forget it. If, if church is nothing more than a preach-teach without any accountable call to practicality, to practically acting on what was said, or an example of doing it in the leader's lives, then we create a culture where self-deception is the norm. Let me read that again. If church is nothing more than just a preach-teach and there's no accountable call to practically acting on what was said, or there's no example of the doing in the lives of the leaders, then we create a culture where self-deception is the norm. Because it's just a matter of preaching and teaching and, and not living. Some live as if Jesus gave the great consolation instead of the great commission. Here's the great consolation. It's been awesome. This, in other words, imagine Jesus after spending three years with his disciples and he's ready to release them. And instead of giving them the great commission of taking the gospel to all the nations and making disciples, he says, it's been awesome for me to have these three years with you. Now that you know me, be sure to go to church every Sunday, but take it easy, don't overdo it. Wait for me to return and take you from this wicked world. He did not say that. He activated us. He activated them. He said, go make disciples of the nations. We should go to church every Sunday. But don't take it easy. (laughs) Sometimes it is WWJD. What would Jesus do? But it's more often do what Jesus did, DWJD. If we treasure the words of his mouth more than our necessary food, we so often know what Jesus did. And if we want to be like Jesus, then let's do as Jesus did. And then I'll end with this, Philippians 4, 9. The things, Paul said this to them. He starts early in Philippians 4 that if we'll just cast all of our care, present our needs to God, then we'll have the peace of God. And then he moves here. That's in verse 7. But in verse 9, he moves us to a place that we'll not just have the peace of God, but we'll have the God of peace with us He says, the things which you've learned from me, received from me, heard from me, and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So, once again, faith is active, trust is passive. If if we want to walk in this world in a state of Peace, that doesn't mean absent of turmoil, absent of conflict. But if we really want to navigate life in a way that no matter what the circumstances, 
that we're going to have peace here, then it must come by hearing what God says and putting it into practice. That's what living by faith is all about. So I challenge you this morning, if, if what you've heard is not your practice, if you don't have a time daily of getting to know rela- relationally, getting to know Jesus, a time of prayer, and then if, you don't ha- if you're not living daily on mission that you know, God has put you here not just to keep this to yourself, but to give it away, then I challenge you, change that. Ask God for the grace to show you how and just begin right where you are. Let's pray. Father, you called us to so much more and you desire so much more. You desire our hearts. You desire our lives. It's not like you're looking for us to do more just for the sake of doing. But Father, you've called us to purpose You've called us, Lord, to be intentional in everything. And so, Lord, today we've heard what you say concerning this thing of faith. We don't want a faith that's just impractical. Lord, we want a faith that we live by. We want a faith, Lord, that's current right now. And, Lord, we want a faith that's very practical. And so, Father... I thank you, Lord, for the seeds that have been sown here today, Lord, and I pray that we would honor that, that we would hear what you're saying, that we would put it into practice, and that we would trust you to see the fruit of this in our lives. In Jesus' name.